Gridbox Media Programming is brought to you by. Do you wish you knew the saints better? Overwhelmed with all the events in Catholic history and just wish you could tie it all together? It's tough work, and even scientists have determined that it takes approximately 400 repetitions to create a new synapse in the brain. Unless it is done with play, in which case it takes between 10 and 20 repetitions. Introducing Saint Cards, where the facts about saints and history are presented in fun and engaging games for ages 4 to 104. Check out Saint Cards at saintcards.com and begin the fun for your family, school, and parish today. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. What are you doing this Lent? The St. Paul Center is streaming their newest video Bible study for free starting Ash Wednesday. Based on Scott Hahn's renowned covenantal theology, this is a study no one should miss. Invite your friends, Catholic or not. Don't miss your chance to see this premium study for free. Go to stpaulcenter.com to sign up today. Redbox Media, this is Chuck Coughlin. Again, setting the record straight about the glorious history of our Catholic Church. I'm doing this by offering certain selected treasurable readings by some of the sublime contemplative literature that has been left us as our inheritance from two millennia of Catholic thought and Catholic feeling and Catholic love of God especially that from the early centuries, from the Desert and Fathers and Mothers, which I began these Lenten podcasts with, the Desert Fathers and Mothers, and proceeded with a work entitled Philokalia. The title is the Greek word for the love of the beautiful, the holy, the exalted, which arose in the eastern part of the Roman Catholic Church in the centuries long before the Great Schism. Those were written primarily before the year 1000. I'm coming all the way up to the 14th century with this one, The Cloud of Annoying. It's an essential work of the contemplative tradition. During the 14th century, it was passed from monastery to monastery. Over the years, it has become a valued devotional text for lay people, for its thoughtful lessons on how to pray. It'd be hard to find a more practical or thorough guide to enter the contemplation of God. The cloud of unknowing boils contemplative prayer down to its essential parts. It can teach you how to pray. It goes past liturgy or quiet times or techniques. It takes away all that stuff. It wants to teach you how to sit with God. Even though God is hidden away, that's okay. It just offers a way to just be with God. And that's the heart of prayer. 
the cloud of unknowing presents in its purest form the case for pursuing God alone. It does so in such a simple, direct way that remains unrivaled in any other contemplative literature. It's a relatively short book comprised of 75 brief chapters. The author, who is remaining anonymous, offered an instruction for reading. We are to look at the book as a whole, straight through, and not just one part of it, for as the writer warns, looking at one part and not another may lead us into error, and the author also advises multiple readings. In the manner that the Benedictines followed for sacred readings, Lectio Divina. So I apologize to you for the dimensions of this podcast are too short for all 75 chapters. We do know the author was an English monk in the 14th century when England was still safely Catholic. But it was a time of chaos that sparked some of the best of all known devotional classics, including this work and The Imitation of Christ and The Revelations of Divine Love. But it was a time of the plague, the Hundred Years' War between England and France, and the Peasants' Revolt, and a lot of other chaos. And somehow it sparked this peace-inducing literature. The book was immediately popular, but the monk chose always to remain anonymous, and he remains anonymous today. And he writes in the form of a dialogue. His words are simple in a in an intimate conversational way, such as one might have, such as might occur at a lunch, in a cafe, directed to a young person of twenty-four, perhaps a novice. He intends that the exercise of contemplation is worth more than all other exercises, namely lifting up our hearts to God and having God alone as our aim. He says to the novice, you are made for contemplation and everything in the universe conspires to help you with it. Because contemplation is a sudden impulse coming out of nowhere and flying up to God like a spark from a burning coal. If you're like I am, you found the title, The Cloud of Unknowing, intriguing. I wanted to know what he was talking about. The Dark Night of the Soul, or what? What is this? Cloud of Unknowing. The best answer is to read what he said. This one is entitled, How to Do the Work of Contemplation, and Why It is the Best Work. Lift up your heart to God with a gentle stirring of love, Focus on him alone. Want him and not anything he's made. Think on nothing but him. Don't let anything else run through your mind and will. Here's how. Forget what you know. Forget everything God made and everybody who exists and everything that's going on in the world until your thoughts and emotions aren't focused on or reaching toward anything. Not in a general way and not in a particular way. Let them be. For the moment, don't care about anything. This is the work of the soul that most pleases God. All the angels and saints rejoice in it. And they're always willing to help you. When you're spending your time in contemplation, they rush to your side, their power's ready. 
But contemplation infuriates the devil in his company. That's why they try to stop you in any way they can. Everyone on earth has been helped by contemplation in wonderful ways. You can't know how much. This spiritual exercise even lessens the pain for souls in purgatory. And no other discipline can purify your soul as deeply or make you as virtuous. But it's the easiest work of all when a soul is helped by grace to feel a pure desire. Contemplation follows. Otherwise, it's hard, nearly impossible to do. So, stop hesitating. Do this work until you feel the delight in it. In the trying is the desire. The first time you practice contemplation, you'll only experience a darkness, like a cloud of unknowing. You won't know what this is. You'll only know that in your will, you will feel a simple reaching out to God. You must also know that this darkness in this cloud will always be between you and your God, whatever you do. They will always keep you from seeing him clearly by the light of understanding in your intellect and will block you from feeling him fully in the sweetness of love in your emotions. So be sure you make your home in this darkness. Stay there as long as you can, crying out to him over and over again because you love him. It's the closest you can get to God here on earth by waiting in this darkness and in this cloud. Work at this diligently as I've asked you to, and I know God's mercy will lead you there. I have a friend who discovered this work along with me. And he said that he was never able to think about God without words, that there's always words. And I talked to you about emptying yourself in order to hear God. But he said he found it very difficult to do. He's not a Catholic, he's a Protestant. And this total silent contemplation seems a, a bit unnatural to him. And maybe opening ourselves to spirits of all kinds, maybe some undesirable, disturbs him. He said he does not know how to quiet his mind and feel love. I pointed out to him that he and his wife share a great love for each other. And they enjoy being with each other, even if they're just sitting on the porch, looking out at the scene of their farm, and not particularly thinking anything. Just silent. But the fact that she's there, I said, can't you feel her love? Doesn't it kind of flood over you like a warm lake? So you're immersed, submerged in it. He said, yes. That's the way you can sit and be in God's presence and love God and feel his love. He was very impressed by this work. The next section is contemplation's brevity and why knowledge and imagination can't acquire it. Brother Anonymous wrote this. So you won't go down the wrong path in this work thinking contemplation is something it's not, but I'll tell you more about it. Some people believe contemplation is time-consuming, but it's not. In fact, it takes less time than anything else you'll ever do. It's as brief as an atom, which excellent philosophers in the science of astronomy define as the smallest particle of time. An atom's littleness makes it indivisible, nearly inconceivable, 
and also in, in, and also invaluable. On this subject, it has been written, Every moment of time is a gift to you, and one day you'll be asked how you spent each one. And you should be held responsible for it. Because this briefest moment of time is exactly how long it takes your will, that strong architect of your soul, to desire something and to act on that desire. In an hour, you experience the same number of aspirations and cravings as there are atoms in that space of time. And if you were restored by grace to the original purity of your soul, you'd be the master of every impulse. You'd never feel out of control because your every desire would be directed toward the most desirable and highest good, who is God. God measures us and makes his divinity fit our souls. And our souls are able to take the measure of him because he created us in his image and made us worthy. He alone is complete and can fulfill our every longing. God's grace restores souls, teaches us how to comprehend him through love. He's incomprehensible to the intellect. Even angels know him by loving him. Nobody's mind is powerful enough to grasp who God is. We can only know him by experiencing his love. And listen, my friends, to these next few sentences, which I find to be most extraordinary. He writes, look, every rational creature, every person and every angel has two main strengths, the power to know and the power to love. God made both of these, but he's not knowable through the first one. To the power of love, however, he's entirely known because a loving soul is open to receive God's abundance. Each person loves uniquely, and God's limitlessness can fill all angels and all souls that will ever exist. His very nature makes love endless and miraculous. God will never stop loving us. Consider this truth, and if by grace you can make love your own, do. For the experience is eternal joy. Its absence is unending suffering. So take good care of your time. Watch how you spend it. For nothing is more precious. In the twinkling of an eye, heaven can be won or lost. Here's how we know time is precious. God, the giver of time, never gives us two moments simultaneously. Instead, he gives them to us one by one, one after another. We never get the future. We get only the present moment. He does this to establish order in his creation and to keep cause and effect in place. Time is made for us. We're not made for time. Allow me to repeat those last sentences. God never gives us two moments simultaneously. Instead, he gives them to us, one after another. We never get the future. We only get the present moment. He does this to establish order in his creation and to keep cause and effect in place. Time is made for us. We're not made for time. God is the ruler of nature, but his gift of time has no strings attached. 
It never determines our own nature and natural impulses. Instead, each of these exactly corresponds to one atom of time. That way, none of us has an excuse on Judgment Day when we go before God to give an account of how we spent our time. We won't be able to say you gave me two moments at once to my every single impulse. I can hear you complaining. What am I supposed to do then? I know you're right, but how can I give an itemized account of each moment? I'm 24 already. I never noticed time before. Your argument has already convinced me there's no way I can go back in time and change things. Time doesn't work that way, nor does ordinary grace. I can't go back in time and make amends. I'm also well aware that because I'm weak and slow about some things spiritually, I can no more control the time to come than I did the time past. At best, I'll manage uh, maybe one in a hundred impulses well. So tell me what to do. Help me now for the love of Jesus. It's good that you said for the love of Jesus. For in the love of Jesus, you'll find your help. Love is so powerful that it shares everything. So love Jesus and everything he has will be yours. Through his divinity is the maker and giver of time. And through his humanity is the true keeper of time. Cling to him in love and in faith. And through that powerful bonding, you will become his companion. His friends will be your friends. See, this truth will comfort you and give you strength. Think clearly about what I've said, and your soul will grow. I do believe I want to warn you about one thing in particular. I don't believe anyone can have a fellowship with Jesus, his holy mother, the angels on high, and his saints. If that person doesn't make the effort to understand and appreciate time with the help of grace. No matter how small the contribution, every person must work to strengthen the fellowship as it does them. Start practicing contemplation and watch how this spiritual exercise makes a difference in your life. When contemplation is genuine, it's nothing but a sudden impulse coming out of nowhere and flying up to God like a spark from a burning coal. It's awesome to count how many times your soul stirs that in an hour. But of these, you may have only one instant where you suddenly realize you've completely forgotten every attachment you have on earth. You'll also notice that because of our human frailty, each impulse riding to God immediately falls to earth in the form of a thought. A thought about something you've done or something that's still on your list to do. But so what? Right after that, it rises up again as fast as it did before. See how it works? Contemplation is quite different from daydreaming or a delusion or a, or a strange superstition. These don't come from a sincere and humble blind stirring of love, but from an arrogant, curious, and over-imaginative mind. The self-important hyper-analytical intellect must always and in every way be squashed. Stomp it underfoot if you want to do the work of contemplation with integrity. A person hearing this book read or quoted may misunderstand my point. I'm not saying that if a person thinks hard enough or he or she will succeed in the work of contemplation, 
I do not want people sitting around analyzing, racking their brains, their curiosity, forcing their imagination to go entirely the wrong way. It's not natural. It's not wise for the mind. And it's not healthy for the body. These people are dangerously deluded, and it would take a miracle to save them. God, in his infant goodness and mercy, would have to intervene, making these people stop such a wrong-minded approach and seek the counsel of experienced contemplatives. Otherwise, such erring souls could succumb to madness, frenzied fits, or the devil's lies, which lead to the profound misery of sin and eventually to the loss of body and soul for all eternity. So for the love of God, be careful in this work. Don't in any way approach contemplation with your intellect or your imagination. I'm telling you the truth. These won't help you. Leave them be, and don't try to do the work of contemplation with them. Don't get the wrong idea about my use of darkness and cloud. When I'm referred to this exercise as a darkness or cloud, I don't want you to imagine the darkness that you get inside your house at night when you blow out a candle. Nor do I want you to imagine a cloud crystallized from the moisture in the air. When I say darkness, I mean the absence of knowing. Whatever you don't know and whatever you've forgotten are dark to you. They're dark to you because you don't see them with your spiritual eyes. For the same reason by a cloud, I don't mean a cloud in the sky, but a cloud of annoying between you and God. I know you'll ask me, how do I think on God as God and who is God? And I can only answer, I don't know. Your question takes me into the very darkness and cloud of annoying that I want you to enter. We could know so many things. Through God's grace, our mind can explore, understand and reflect on creation, and even on God's own works. But we can't think our way to God. That's why I'm willing to abandon everything I know, to love the one thing I cannot think. He can be loved, but not thought. By love, God can be embraced and held, but not by thinking. It is good sometimes to meditate on God's amazing love. It's a part of illumination and contemplation, but true contemplative work is something entirely different. Even meditating on God's love must be put down and covered with a cloud of forgetting. Show your determination next. Let that joyful stirring of love make you resolute, and in its enthusiasm, bravely step over meditation and reach up to penetrate the darkness above you. Then beat on that thick cloud of unknowing with a sharp arrow of longing, and never stop loving, no matter what comes your way. So that ends our Lenten meditation on the cloud of annoying by an anonymous monk in the 14th century. If we allow him, this brother anonymous, will teach us that such mystery is nothing to fear. Instead, we can join him, seek the cloud of annoying, and make our home in this darkness.
setting the record straight about the glorious history of our beloved Catholic Church. I'm Chuck Coughlin. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. CMF Curo is the country's first Catholic health care ministry to provide an affordable health sharing solution rooted in Catholic teaching and community. Learn more at MyCatholicHealthCare.com slash podcast. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com slash podcast.